Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, it's Chelsea and Ryan and Chris today, and we are finishing up 1 Corinthians. Got a little bit of a passage in Acts and introing Romans. So as we read today, what stuck out to you guys? Uh, so this is just to, to bring some context of what's going on here. This is the the uh, chronological part of this. Like we're, we're getting the end. I couldn't what's think of the that, word. What's that I, word? That thing that we're yeah, using all the time? Yeah, I couldn't think of the word actually. Um, but we're going to wrap up Corinthians. We're going to get a little bit of the, the meta story from Acts. And then we're going to go into Romans. And it's all based on when these letters were written and how it relates to Paul's missionary journeys. So that's why we're dipping into a couple different books. Yeah, so actually the version of the Bible we're reading talks about after writing 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, Paul felt compelled to visit Corinth um, before going to Jerusalem and Rome. And so when he's visiting, after before he visits Corinth, this rite in Ephesus, Ephesus happens. Um, and then, then he hangs out in Corinth with his buddies for a little while. Yeah. And, and writes, writes Romans. Romans. Yeah. And he has never been to the Roman church. This is right. a letter to a church that he's never set foot in. It's kind of hilarious because his language is very direct. Yeah, and there's so much in here. How to write there's letters like, to people you don't know. Like, yeah, there's this, like, what, Romans is 15 chapters? 16? I don't 16. know. I, but, like, there's so much in here to people he doesn't even know. It's crazy to me. So he probably knew some of them. Mm-hmm. Because okay. uh, the backstory of Romans is that uh, there was, in, like, 49 AD, the Emperor Claudius kicked out all the Jews, including Priscilla and Aquila. And so in those, and there was for five years, they were not allowed back in Rome. So Paul would have known Priscilla and Aquila, probably got some reports on the church from them. Mm. And then in 54 under Nero, the Jews were allowed to come back in. And that's, while Romans is this theological treatise that a lot of us look to today as kind of Paul's theology, it's written to a very specific church situation where they, church, hated each other. You have racism in the church, actually, between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul is using the basics of theology to try to unite them, that they're uh, that they have all these things in common. So when he starts off with sin, he's actually doing that to try to bring them together. So he probably knew a little bit about the church in Rome, but you're right; it is still very direct, and it is a church that he never visited. It is unique in his letters that he would he doesn't do this very often. Do we know who planted this church? We don't actually. Okay, just curious. So speaking of Priscilla and Aquila, they are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting that Paul literally just wrote about how women can't talk in church and then talks about Priscilla and Aquila basically being pseudo leaders in another church. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've we've talked about this already, but how could he possibly have equipped and empowered leaders of other churches who were women and believed that women should not speak? It just doesn't hold water. Right. Yeah. Again, looking at the Bible as a whole and Paul's letters as a whole and kind of piecing together his thoughts on those things. Yeah. So we start with a really encouraging passage in Romans chapter (laughs) 1, where after you get past... are we going to skip the whole riot in Ephesus? Oh. That's the best part. (laughs) Oh, that's... Okay, then you talk about it. (laughs) Take on the riot. I love it. So Ryan is now interrupting me. Yes, I am. Talk about I am. the riots. And you know what? There is no order on this podcast. So if you want to write us a letter and tell me that I can't speak, actually, that'll be fine. You can, you'll have to stand in a long line of people, actually. So um, in Acts 19, 
what we have here is um, basically the the economy is so disruptive by Christian belief um, that the artisans actually get super upset um, because it's affecting their income. And it's very funny because like the lead craftsman, uh, Demetrius, he's like, this is not good. Like we are not making money. But also, we really care about our God. (laughs) (laughs) So you get kind of a hilarious picture of how empty this God Artemis is, um, because Artemis has no power to transform people's lives and change people's hearts. Uh, But we see that Jesus does. And so this huge riot erupts. And the reason it's actually actually one of my favorite stories that happens in Acts, um, because it's, it's a really cool picture of how a culture can be transformed by the gospel. Um, because it's, it's not a tiny group of people off to the side who are not impacting their community. People hear about Jesus and they understand that it drives them to some sort of action that changes the world around them. Hmm. And so this reaches a boiling point where they have this huge riot and all they really care about the riot is so that like, we don't want to make the Romans mad. So please stop rioting. <laughs> also, they shot a greatest Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. <laughs> It seems That's crazy. It seems like you're going pretty hard at that point. It's like, <laughs> are, are we trying to convince ourselves of this? or? Um, also, the it's just kind of ironic to me that Paul's persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. It's yeah. just like, yeah. yeah, you handmade them. Yeah, they actually know that. <laughs> it's know. just like, if you, if you read this, it's like, they knew. <laughs> and that is a, it's a good story to remember when we get to the book of Ephesians, because like this is, this is some of the setting of what happened there. And so then eventually when Paul encourages the church in Ephesus, yeah, he he's encouraging this group of believers that has seen their whole society upset. Mm-hmm. They're getting persecuted. There's all, there's economic persecution in Ephesus, so it it fits right in hand. But uh, since we're going chronological, we just have to wait till Paul actually writes <laughs> we that just letter. Have to wait. <laughs> now to Romans. Now to Romans. <laughs> oh, good. After I was so rudely interrupted by <laughs> well, Ryan, we had no idea that Ryan's favorite story in Acts is right here. It really is one of my favorite stories. I like it very much. <laughs> that might have been something to mention in the pre-talk. <laughs> yeah, we did. I think I did. <laughs> anyway, we'll check the tape. <laughs> Romans. Romans. After we start this letter to the Romans, it kind of feels like just a super heavy passage because Paul is diving in and talking about wickedness and talking about sin. Um, and I, I personally think chapter one is specifically directed to the Gentiles in the church. I think chapter two that we'll see tomorrow, he turns to the Jews. So don't worry. Um, <laughs> everybody is under the power of sin because he's uniting them under that uh, same fallenness. But some of the ways that things are worded here are really interesting. Uh, first of all, it's the people that are suppressing the truth um, and that that suppression of the truth uh, is leading to God abandoning them or leading to God uh, giving them up, another version says. And it's it's actually, to me, one of the saddest passages that hmm. um, even creation itself should tell them there's something bigger out there, but actually they're not even looking at creation. They're just falling further and further and further into sin, uh, suppressing that truth, and they don't have any excuse. It just leads them further and further into the w- wickedness. Uh, and it's just they're falling more and more and more into deeper and darker sin because of that. Um, the picture of God giving people up to their own decisions, their own consequences, that's like that's such a sobering picture. Yeah. Um, but we do believe that we have choice, and choices have consequences. And when you choose evil, it leads to more and more evil. Yeah. And it's not the first time that this happens. Like we, As we read through the whole Bible, um, the Israelites, Jews— um, were also given up to their own desires that 
Lord, the Lord was just like, okay, if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get. Like he actually says that in the Old Testament. If the, if this wickedness, if this sin is what you want, then I'm going to give it to you, like give you over to it. So it's not the first time. It's just happening happening now in New Testament context. Um, we also have this verse about uh, people. Or let's let's see. Hold on, let me actually read it instead of just doing the Chelsea version paraphrase. Um, <laughs> for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Um, how do we read that as far as like evangelism goes? Yeah, th- this is a verse that, um, I served in missionary circles for a number of years. And sometimes you can actually get this idea that somehow people that haven't heard the truth or haven't heard the gospel that, creation can lead to salvation or that they can be saved, but that kind of is difficult to reconcile with there's only one way to salvation. Um, And if you look at this passage in context, it's not saying that creation saves people. It actually says that it condemns them, Mm. um, that they don't have excuse, that they should be able to look out at creation and realize there is someone out there greater than them, which could eventually lead them to meeting the true God and meeting Jesus and finding salvation, but they don't even take that first step of realizing there's someone greater than them. Mm. If they just go further and further into sin. So um, unreached people are unreached and they need to be reached. It's they're not okay just by looking at the mountains or, you know, having some kind of revelation of creation. They need to hear the gospel. Yeah. Uh, and so this uh, creation condemns, it doesn't save. Right. And I think that should compel us even more to reach people with the gospel. When we know how fulfilling and wonderful life with Jesus is, why would we let people just be, just settle for knowing the mountains and the moon and the stars? Like that's not, that's not Christian living. That's not real life with Christ. Um, so it should compel us yeah. to reach those people. And so when I look at this passage, I mean, it's such a sobering passage and this is, I think this is kind of really showing that the Gentiles in the church of Rome are sinners. Chapter two is going to turn to the, the Jews and we're going to get to see that tomorrow. So don't, don't worry if uh, I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine the Jews listening to this passage would be like those Gentiles, they are so horrible. You are so right, Paul. Uh, and then Paul turns his attention to them. And again, bringing this sense of unity that everybody started as a sinner. So there's no reason that Gentiles are not better. Jews are not better. They're all fallen without Christ. And then he will get to the good news eventually in Romans. But Paul starts with the bad news. Yeah. Um, But also how Paul starts with just this amazing love for this church, again, that he's never seen. But but he prays for them day and night. He brings them and their needs to to God in prayer. And um, he's working hard to visit them. All these things that like he, he starts this letter with this deep love for this church and then goes into the truth about what they need to hear. Again, like this this uh, tension between grace and truth. Um, it's not really truth without grace. It's not really grace without truth. So I like the, how he sets it up first. And then mm. he does need to go. He has to go into these things, kind of like the, like the Corinthians. He has to talk about this because he loves them. But, First Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16.1 Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me.
I'm coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way with my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work, just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. Now about our brother Apollos. I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has the opportunity. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them, who serve with such devotion. I'm very glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archaeus have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, and they have been to you. You must show your appreciation to all who serve so well. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. O Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Acts 19.21 Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with the others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But then the crowd realized he was a Jew. They started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. 
Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges, and there are complaints about other matters. They can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, so he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychus, and Trophimus in the province of Asia. They went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed a week. Romans 1, 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his early life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through, through Christ, God has given us privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart, by spreading the good news about his Son. One of the things I always pray for is opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. 
and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They were backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.